everyone, and welcome to this reading of the Mason City Globe Gazette. This is the Friday, December 30th, 2022 edition. It's brought to you here on the morning of Saturday, December 31st, New Year's Eve. We're about ready to start off a whole group of months, uh, days of New Year. Anyway, however that said, <laughs> hope you're ready for it, and um, hope that it's a good one for you. I know I am. We're going to be taking a check of the forecast before we get into these headline stories here for this reading of the Mason City Globe Gazette. Just a reminder, you're listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Disabled. This is Andrew Hopp, your reader, filling in for this Friday, December 30th edition. Looking at some of the headlines, ring in the new year with North Iowa events. Hawk fans excited for Nashville Bowl game. That's today, if you're listening to this on the air, Saturday morning. And United Way of North Central Iowa receives $25,000 gift. These stories and more, but first a check of your forecast for Mason City, the North Iowa area. Well, for today, your Saturday, you can expect cloudy skies, winds from the south and southeast, gusting to as high as 21 miles per hour, a high near 36 degrees for today. For tonight, expect a 20% chance of rain before 9 p.m., mostly cloudy conditions with those winds from the south becoming west after midnight, the low around 23 degrees for your overnight low. For tomorrow, New Year's Day, cloudy conditions, mostly cloudy, a high near 33, calm winds becoming north around 5 miles per hour later on. For Sunday night, New Year's night, cloudy with a low around 24. And for Monday, January 2nd, a slight chance of snow and freezing rain before noon, then a chance of rain, snow, and freezing rain, cloudy conditions, a 40% chance of precipitation, a high near 33 degrees for your Monday. Do be careful if you're out and about. Looks like we got rain and freezing rain mixed with snow lasting through Tuesday and into Tuesday. So be careful if you're out and about. We're back to winter. I know we had a nice relief there for a while because it's been a, it's a beautiful, beautiful day outside today here in central Iowa. And it was really nice yesterday. I think we're ready to go back to that for a little while. But anyway, these headlines here. We're going to start it off with Ring in the New Year with North Iowa Events in this reading of the Mason City Globe Gazette, Friday, December 30th edition. This by Abby Koch. Goodbye, 2022. Hello, 2023. Ring in the New Year with some good fun in North Iowa. From kids to grandparents, there is a party for everyone to enjoy. Take a look at some of the New Year's Eve's events this Saturday. I guess I'm going to read those to you. Take a listen, is what we'll say. Happy Noon Year at Clear Lake Art Center. For those who can't wait until midnight, celebrate the new year a little early with Clear Lake Art Center. Whether you are too excited to start a new year or you value your sleep, this event will be fun for all ages. There will be festive appetizers and sparkling cider, art activities, a noon countdown, and ballroom balloon, rather, balloon drop, and free fun for all ages. That starts at 10.30 a.m. You could go to the noon year's eve at Roller City in Mason City. Join the fun at Roller City from 12 p.m. to 3 p.m. Saturday, December 31st for noon year's eve. North Iowa's family-friendly New Year's Eve experience will include games, food, and prizes. Admission is $10 for a full afternoon of fun. Or the New Year's Eve party at Five Alarm Brewing Company in Lake Mills. Enjoy drink specials and games at Five Alarm Brewing Company. Everyone is invited to attend this party, which starts at noon. Stream of Consciousness at Fat Hill Brewing in Mason City. 
Stream of Consciousness, commonly referred to as SOC, is a Mason City rock and blues staple of many years, famous for an energetic play-anything-jam style. This mix of professionally trained musicians and self-taught garage rockers makes sure no show is ever the same as the last. Join us as the guys help us ring in the new year at this afternoon's show, their Fat Hill debut. No admission fee, the show starts at 3 p.m. We go to the North Iowa Bulls versus the Austin Bruins at Mason City Arena. Cheer on the hometown hockey team for this showdown that starts at 7.10 p.m. Tickets are $15 for a glass or top shelf, $12 for adults, $10 for military veterans or seniors over age 65, and $7 for children under the age of 18. You can call 641-421-3673 for more information. New Year's Eve Enchantment Under the Sea Dance at Mason City Brewing. Head over to Mason City Brewing and recreate the Enchantment Under the Sea Dance from 1955 featuring the Mercury 3. Then they will go back to the future for an 80s and 90s video dance party. The fun will be from 7 to 7 p.m. to 1 a.m. From there we go to the Vic Ferrari at Surf Ballroom in Clear Lake. For the past 35 years, Vic Ferrari has been performing great rock and roll for audiences throughout the Midwest and around the world. Join the band for their final show and New Year's Eve party at the historic Surf Ballroom on Saturday, December 31st. Featuring special guest Birdchild, doors open at 8 p.m. Tickets are available in advance for $26 or the door for $31. The Kraft Brothers at Tapped D in Clear Lake. The Kraft Brothers will bring you the perfect mixture of great music and a good time. You'll hear music by Johnny Cash to Eric Church and Kenny Chesney to Dwight Yoakam with plenty of surprises along the timeline for the 50s to today. You don't want to miss it when the Kraft Brothers do New Year's Eve. Show starts at 8 p.m. And finally listed here is the Jeff Reinerts at 173 Craft Distillery in Clear Lake. Ring in the new year with live music. Jeff Reinhardt's Live will play from 9 p.m. to midnight at 173 Craft Distillery. 173 Craft Distillery is located at 306 First Avenue North in Clear Lake. Free admission. For more upcoming happenings in North Iowa, check out North Iowa Escapades, which is published every Thursday. That written by Abby Koch, who covers education and entertainment for the Globe Gazette. You can follow her on Twitter at M-K-A-Y-A-B-B-Y or email her at abby.koch.com. A-B-B-Y.K-O-C-H at GlobeGazette.com. More front page news. United Way of North Central Iowa receives $25,000 gift. Wednesday, United Way of North Central Iowa announced it has received a transformational gift of $25,000 in support of the Dolly Parton Imagination Library. According to a press release, the gift was made by a North Iowa family in memory of their son, Greg who discovered the magic of words and reading in early childhood. His family hopes to ensure his legacy continues by passing this love of reading on to the children of North Iowa. We are honored to be a part of this incredible legacy, said UWNCI CEO Jen Ahrens. Thanks to this family's generosity, we are going to be able to provide children in North Iowa with the tools to build their early literacy skills, but also instill a lifelong love of reading. We are extremely grateful for this level of support. In North Iowa, 25% of children are not reading at proficiency by fourth grade, according to the Iowa Department of Education. The Dolly Parton Imagination Library provides an age-appropriate book every month from birth until the child's fifth birthday. The program results in higher literacy skills prior to entering kindergarten, increased 
child-caregiver interaction around reading, and increase positive feelings around reading. We now move on now to our third and final front page story. Hawk fans excited for Nashville Bowl game. This is written by Matthew Rezab of the Globe Gazette. The University of Iowa may be playing the same team as last year, but it's in a different bowl game in a new city, and Hawkeyes fans are excited about Saturday's contest. The Hawks will take on the Kentucky Wildcats again, this time in the Transperfect Music City Bowl. Last year, the Wildcats came out on top 20-17 against the Hawkeyes in the Citrus Bowl in Orlando. This year, Iowa fans are ready for revenge, and many are going south to see the game in person in Nashville, Tennessee. According to Elizabeth Holmer, Athletic Development Events Director for University of Iowa Center for Advancements, fans are eager to go, and Nashville was a top choice for a venue. Pure excitement, Holmer said of Iowa's morale. We are ready to get the payback. We are going to make to take it this year. There are 800 people registered to go to the Hawkeye Huddle pregame prep rally Friday night at the Sky Deck at Assembly Food Hall. So that would have been last night, uh, as I'm bringing this to you. If you're listening on the air in the morning of Saturday, the party will run from 4 to 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. And while registration is encouraged, Holman said all comers are welcome or were welcome. There's been a lot of excitement around Nashville and the Music City Bowl, Holmer said. Fans were certainly hoping this would be one of the locations that we would be at for weather and distance, people being able to drive to Nashville, the excitement of the city of Nashville. And so we've got 10, a pretty positive response from alumni, fans, and supporters about the Music City Bowl. Kelly Rush, president of the North Iowa Eye Club, said he is certainly excited to watch the game. I think people are excited to see some young players that haven't played, and then Joey Lavos will be the quarterback, so people are excited to see what he has got, Rush said. The quarterback situation for both teams is interesting. Lavos, at six foot four, a redshirt freshman, will start his first game as a Hawkeye. Starter Spencer Petrus injured his shoulder in the first quarter of the regular season finale against Nebraska, and backup Alex Padilla entered the transfer portal and will not play. Kentucky's star quarterback Will Levis has opted out of the game to prepare for the NFL draft. With Levis departing, the Wildcats are left with three quarterbacks on their roster. Third-year sophomore and former Iowa Signal caller Deuce Hogan, redshirt freshman Kaya Sharon and true freshman Destin Wade. Rush pointed out an other intriguing element to the game. Kentucky head coach Mark Stoops is a former Hawkeye. He played defensive back for the team from 1986 to 1988. He is the winningest head coach in Kentucky football history. Lifelong Iowa fan Jason Zerbel said he is excited to see the new quarterback play, but he believes the redundancy of the game may take a toll on fan turnout. I would think, yeah, there's going to be less Iowa fans there, Zerbel said. But if I were going, I'd definitely check out the country music scene. When it comes to predictions, Rush is loyal, as always. Of course, the Hawks will win, he said. The game between the two 7-5 and five teams 
kicks off at 11 a.m. A note here at the bottom of this story, Donald Promnitz of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier contributed to this article. That's all of our front page news. Moving on now to page A2 of the Mason City Globe Gazette, Friday, December 30th edition. Man wanted following fatal pursuit has been detained. This written by Jeff Reinitz of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier airing here in the Mason City Globe Gazette. Dateline Ken Set. A West Union man wanted following a September police pursuit that ended in a crash that killed his son has been arrested. Curtis Allen Williams, age 38, was detained Wednesday in Kensett, a town of 257 people north of Mason City near the Minnesota border, according to authorities. As of Wednesday night, he was in the Worth County Jail in Northwood. Details of the arrest weren't immediately available. Court records show Williams is wanted on a Fayette County parole violation warrant stemming from a 2012 kidnapping case and a Winnesheet County bench warrant for allegedly missing a court date for a July operating while intoxicated charge there. Last week, Cedar Valley Crime Stoppers offered a reward for information leading to his whereabouts. Authorities said Williams was on parole September 26 when he allegedly let a Chickasaw County Sheriff's deputy he led that deputy on a 100-mile-per-hour chase. The pursuit ended in a crash on U.S. Highway 63 off-ramp near New Hampton, and the collision claimed the life of his son, 18-year-old Jackson Williams of Decorah. Court records indicate authorities suspect alcohol was a factor in the crash and a blood sample was sent for testing. No charges have been filed in the crash. Only days following the collision on October 1st, Williams was allegedly at a West Union bar where staff called police to have him removed be, uh, from the establishment because he was intoxicated and had difficulty walking, according to court records. Another article here by Abby Koch. Thank you, North Iowa. It's time for a new chapter. She writes, Hey, North Iowa, let me tell you how much I appreciate you. I came to the area right after I graduated in May 2021. I knew I had much to learn about this community, its school districts, and its values. It was a new chapter in my life, and I was scared what the future held. My fears quickly disappeared after coming to know the people of North Iowa. So many welcome this recent college graduate with open arms and a welcoming attitude. Being the area's education and entertainment reporter, it has been an absolute joy for me because of the hospitality. Your support, whether that be over a meal or a quick chat, has helped me become the person that I am today. But with all the stories, some chapters must end in order to start a new one. With that being said, I have decided to say goodbye to the Globe Gazette. I decided to take a step back from journalism with a new position. The good news for, for some is that I will be staying in North Iowa with this new job. It was not an easy decision for me, and it took a lot of time with my own thoughts. I appreciate all who sat down with me or over the phone to talk about this fork in the road while I had a few tears in my eyes. But after discussion and thought, I believe this new chapter is the right move for me. My journey with the Globe Gazette and its newsroom will always be something I will smile about. I would like to give a big thank you to my past and present editors for guiding with each story. I especially want to give special thanks to Lisa Gruet for all that you have done for the newspaper and me. You were definitely a leader that we could count on and annoy with bad puns at the same time. I also appreciate Doug Hines for his guidance to the newsroom 
and with my writing. You were the boost in morale that we needed. Plus, some of the best newsroom jokes were made because of you. The newsroom was always a good place to be because of my colleagues' support and attitudes. I am forever, forever thankful for the friendships I have made in the newsroom with Jared McNett, Zach DuPont, Zach Martin, Ray Burnett, and Matt Rezab. My 19 months covering North Iowa heavily in the education beat has been an amazing opportunity for me. I will forever be grateful for the trust the North Iowa school districts and community had in me telling their story. North Iowa has a lot to be proud of in its education systems, especially with its opportunities and people. I was fortunate to learn and talk with so many dedicated superintendents, principals, teachers, and staff members. There is a lot of good in the world because of these individuals. I was, it was sharing stories like how Central Springs Principal Bill Carlson reads to kids, Coulter Alexander Latimer's student-managed goat farm, Clear Lake Principal Mike Lester's costume closet, Charles City teacher Rob Pittman's teaching kids how to river surf, and introducing Superintendent Pat Hamilton to Mason City, that meant the world to me. Being a small piece in sharing a school's history through good and rough times will always serve as a great memory for me. Another piece, and probably the most important aspect of covering education, was having the opportunity to interview students. I have always been impressed with the students of North Iowa, from the preschool students all the way to high school seniors. Each one is passionate about their future and education, so be proud, North Iowa. I have loved telling the story of North Iowa schools, but it is time for me to start writing a new story of my own. With my new chapter, I hope to continue supporting journalism and education in new ways. Also, since I will be in the area, don't be a stranger and feel free to connect. With much appreciation, Newspaper Girl signing off. That was written by Abby Koch, who covered education and entertainment for the Globe Gazette. She can be followed on Twitter at M-K-A-Y. A-B-B-Y, or email her at abby.koch at globegazette.com for the short time she's left with the paper. Moving on now to news on page A3. King appeals verdict in copyright infringement case. It's written by Nick Heitrick of the Sioux City Journal, Dateline, Sioux City, Iowa. Former U.S. Representative Steve King has appealed a judgment finding his campaign committed copyright infringement when using a photo contained in the popular Success Kid meme without permission in the 2020 fundraising ad. A federal jury in November found King for Congress had infringed upon Lainey Griner's copyright when it used the photo of her son Sam in the Success Kid meme, so-called because a picture of the then-toddler captured him with a determined look on his face and a fistful of sand raised, fistful of sand, I should say, raised in a triumphant motion. The ad was posted on the Republican fundraising website winred.com and was projected onto King's Facebook and campaign pages. It was taken down hours later after Griner demanded its removal. She later sued King and his campaign for copyright infringement, and her son sued for invasion of privacy. After a four-day trial in U.S. District Court in Sioux City, jurors determined King for Congress did infringe on the copyright but did so unknowingly and awarded Laney Griner $750 in damages, the statutory minimum. The jury determined King himself did not infringe upon Griner's copyright and also found in Sam Griner's claim for invasion of privacy that King for Congress did not use the photo without his consent, though Griner and his mother both testified no one from the campaign had sought their permission to use it. 
King is appealing the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals, the jury's denial of King's for Congress fair use defense. At trial, his lawyer had argued King and his campaign were protected by the fair use exemption exception, which allows the use of work without copyright owner's permission and without compensating the owner for such use in certain circumstances. The exception, according to legal experts, is a gray area open to wide interpretation. King also is appealing other decisions U.S. District Judge C.J. Williams made before and during the trial. In a separate motion filed in federal court in Sioux City, King's attorneys have asked Williams to lower the damage amount to $200 allowable by law because the jury found the infringement was committed unknowingly. That motion has not been ruled upon. Griner's attorney also has asked Williams to amend the judgment, seeking an order finding King is liable for the copyright infringement of his campaign committee. Griner's attorney argues that trial evidence proved King for Congress was acting on his behalf, making him liable for infringement too. King's attorneys have filed a resistance, saying it was shown at trial that King was unaware of the photo's use. Griner shot the photo of 11-month-old Sam in 2007, and after she posted it on her social media pages, it quickly turned into a popular meme, often associated with achievement or celebration and earning the Success Kid nickname. She copyrighted the photo in 2012 and has earned thousands of dollars by selling licensing rights for its use. She testified she tries to keep the photo's brand positive, consenting to its use for what she considers uplifting and family-friendly themes. On January 27, 2020, the Success Kid meme was posted by an independent contractor working for King's campaign on the fundraising site, prompting a cease and desist letter from Griner's lawyer to King and King for Congress and seeking compensation for the photo's use. The demand became a national story covered by national media such as the New York Times and CNN. Griner sued after no one from King's campaign contacted her about compensation and sought a $150,000 damage judgment. At trial, King testified he didn't know what a meme was until the lawsuit was filed and said the suit was politically motivated. His attorney called it a marketing campaign by Griner to increase interest in the photo, which has attracted few licensing opportunities in recent years. Here's an Iowa Capital Dispatch story. Written by Clark Kaufman, airing here in the Mason City Globe Gazette. Iowa home care nurse who stole patients' painkillers surrenders license. A 63-year-old Iowa nurse convicted of stealing a patient's painkillers has agreed to surrender her nursing license. According to court records and documents from the Iowa Board of Nursing, Anita Hoyt of Rockwell City was criminally charged earlier this year with unlawful possession of a controlled substance, unlawful possession of a prescription drug, theft, and two counts of dependent adult abuse. Police records indicate that in February, Hoyt stole 14 hydrocodone pills that belonged to a Rockwell City woman. The pills were stolen from the victim's home, and according to prosecutors, Hoyt was the victim's caretaker at the time of the theft. In October, Hoyt and Calhoun County prosecutors reached a plea deal in which Hoyt pleaded guilty to one count of dependent adult abuse and one count of unlawful possession of a prescription drug. As part of the plea deal, she admitted stealing the patient's drugs. In return for the guilty plea, the three remaining charges against Hoyt were dropped. Hoyt was then granted a deferred judgment that entails one year of probation. If, at the end of the one year, she has complied with the terms of her probation, all court records related to her arrest and prosecution will be expunged from the public record. Hoyt can apply for reinstatement of her nursing license in one year, according to the nursing board. 
more nursing board actions. In an unrelated matter, the board has indefinitely suspended the nursing license of Alyssa Turner, age 30, of Sioux City. On June 23rd, police officers served a search warrant for Turner's house and car as part of a homicide investigation that focused on an associate of Turner's. A search of Turner's car uncovered 8.7 grams of marijuana in the center console of the car, while a search of the, her home undercovered more marijuana, plus a marijuana grinder and unspecified THC substances, according to police. At the time, Turner worked for Jackson Recovery Centers, a substance abuse treatment provider in Sioux City. Prosecutors later dismissed the drug charge, and Turner pleaded guilty to a charge of frequently or frequenting a disorderly house and a charge of allowing an unauthorized person to drive a vehicle. She was fined $365. The board has also ordered Desiree Major, age 47, of Woodward to complete 30 hours of continuing education. According to the board, Major was working at unspecified Iowa nursing home in 2021 when, for five months, she falsified various medical records and performed nursing services beyond the scope of her license. Uh, written by the Iowa Capital Dispatch, writer Clark Kaufman, I think he's their editor. Uh, Iowa Capital Dispatch is part of State's Newsroom, a network of news bureaus supported by grants and coalition of donors as a 501c3 public charity. Iowa Capital Dispatch maintains editorial independence. Contact editor Kathy Obradovich for questions. Info at iowacapitaldispatch.com. Follow Iowa Capital Dis Dispatch on Facebook and Twitter. In news from the Nation and World section, the Digest, Dateline, Dallas, Texas, Southwest expects to return to normal. Hopefully they have by now, as of the airing of this episode. Southwest Airlines said it expects to return to normal operations Friday after slashing about two-thirds of its schedule in recent days, including canceling more than 2,350 flights Thursday. So this would have been yesterday, as far as I know. They were back up and going, but if not, well, don't take that for, don't take my word for it. Check the news. Airline executives told employees that crew scheduling this week, a major cause of meltdown, has been fixed. Southwest is struggling to recover after being overwhelmed by a winter storm that left hundreds of pilots and flight attendants stranded out of position to operate flights. Other airlines are back to full strength. January 6th panel Trump's, drops Trump's subpoena. Dateline Washington. The House January 6th committee has dropped its subpoena against former President Donald Trump as it wraps up work and prepares to dissolve next week. Mississippi Representative Benny Thompson, the committee's Democratic chairman, wrote in a letter to Trump lawyer David Warrington on Wednesday that he is formally withdrawing the subpoena. As you may know, the select committee has concluded its hearings, released its final report, and will very soon reach its end, Thompson wrote. In light of the imminent end of our investigation, the select committee can no longer pursue the specific information covered by the subpoena. Well, just sometimes time runs out. It's time to move along. In the briefs, unemployment applications for unemployment aid for the week ending December 24th climbed 9,000 uh, claims to 225,000, the Labor Department reported Thursday. The four-week average of applications, which smooths out some of the week-to-week -week swings, slipped just 250 to 221,000. Meanwhile, mortgage buyer Freddie Mac reported Thursday that the average on the benchmark 30-year rate increased 6.42% from 6.27% last week. Benedict XVI, the Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI is lucid, alert, and stable, 
but his condition remains serious, the Vatican said Thursday, a day after it revealed the 95-year-old's health had deteriorated recently. A statement from Vatican spokesman Matteo Bruni said Pope Francis asked for continued prayers to accompany him in these difficult hours. Military sale. The U.S. State Department said Wednesday that it approved the sale of an anti-tank mine-laying system to Taiwan amid the rising military threat from China. The department said the volcano system and all related equipment would cost an estimated $80 million. I want to know how much it costs to buy a tank. I want one. Russian warships. Russian President Vladimir Putin oversaw the commissioning of new warships and vowed Thursday to further strengthen his country's navy. The newly commissioned vessels included a corvette, a what? A corvette, a minesweeper, and a generalismus Sovrov nuclear submarine. The submarine armed with Balava nuclear-tipped intercontinental ballistic missiles is the sixth submarine in the new Moray class to join the Russian Navy. I don't know what a Corvette is for the Russian Navy. If that means the car, that's very interesting. Every Navy needs a Corvette. Moving on now, more briefs here. Uh, one last, actually two last briefs here from the AP. Population, the world population is projected to be 7.9 billion people on New Year's Day 2023 with 73.7 million people added since New Year's Day 2022. The U.S. Census Bureau said Thursday that marks a 0.9% increase in the world population over the past year. During January 2023, 4.3 births and two deaths are expected worldwide every second, the Census Bureau said. In South Korea, staged large-scale military drills Thursday to stimulate shooting down drones as a step to bolster its readiness against North Korean provocations three days after the North flew drones into the South's territory for the first time in five years. And those are the briefs. We are past the halfway point here in this reading of the Mason City Globe Gazette. This is the Friday, December 30th edition. It's brought to you here on the morning of Saturday, December 31st, New Year's Eve. Hope, hope you're having a great start to your day. If you don't have any place to be this morning, it's Saturday, so go back to bed. If you do, well, it's time to get up because it's the 8 o'clock hour. We're about halfway through it here on IRS, maybe a little bit over that, depending if our automation system is running at the right time. This is recorded, by the way. And you are listening to the reading of the Mason City Globe Gazette here on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. All material heard here on IRIS is intended solely for the use of the blind and print disabled. I'm your reader today filling in. My name is Andrew Haupt. If you have any comments on this or any other IRIS program, please give us a call at 515-243-6833. And now we will turn to the obituaries listed in the Friday paper. Starting off with Michael W. Molesby. Last name is spelled M-A-U-L-S-B-Y of Clear Lake. Michael W. Molesby, age 77 of Clear Lake, passed away peacefully Wednesday, December 28, 2022. Visitation will be held at 3 p.m. from 3 to p- from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. Sunday, January 1st. That will be tomorrow if you're listening to this on the air. At the Ward Van Slyke Colonial Chapel, located at 310 First Avenue North in Clear Lake. Visitation will continue one hour prior to the service. Memorial services will be held at 10 a.m. Monday, January 2nd at the Ward Van Slyke Colonial Chapel with the Reverend Greg Peterson officiating. Military honors will be conducted by the Clear Lake VFW. Inurement will be at the Memorial Park Cemetery of Mason City in the summer. 
The Ward Van Slyke Colonial Chapel uh, is, can be reached at 641-357-2193 or colonialchapels.com. Next up, Sarah Sally Bailey Wolf Kuehler of Storm Lake. Sarah Sally Bailey Wolf Kuehler, age 91, of Storm Lake, Iowa, died on December 22, 2022, at the Benu Vista Regional Medical Center in Storm Lake. Funeral services will take place Monday, January 2nd, 2023 at 10 a.m. at the Lakeside Presbyterian Church in Storm Lake, Iowa. Burial will be in the Memorial Park Cemetery in Mason City, Iowa. The Fratsky and Jansen or Jensen Funeral Home in Storm Lake is in charge of arrangements. In lieu of flowers, the family requests that memorial gifts be given to the music camp Sally attended and loved. The Interlochen Center for the Arts at 4000 J. Maddie Parkway or P.O. Box 199 Interlochen, Michigan 49643. You may also call 231-276-7623 or visit give.interlochen.org. Sarah Sally Bailey Wolfkuller was born May 21, 1931 to Dan and Genevieve maiden named Tracy Bailey, in Burlington, Iowa. She attended school in Ottumwa, Iowa, and graduated in 1949. She graduated college from the University of Iowa with a degree in sociology. Sally was an active member of the Lakeside Presbyterian Church in Storm Lake, where she was an elder and deacon of the church. Sally married the love of her life, Warren V. Wolfkuehler, on June 16, 1954, in Ottumwa, Iowa. The couple was blessed with three children, W. Scott, Sarah, and Lewis, known as Ted. Sally was passionate about art and painting. Music filled her with joy, and she enjoyed playing the violin. She loved the lake, especially sailing and canoeing. Sally had a keen interest in Native American history. More than anything, Sally treasured her time with family. She will be deeply missed by all who knew and loved her. Left to cherish Sally's memory are her children, W. Scott, married to Joni Wolfkuehler of Storm Lake, Iowa, Sarah, married to Brent Lowe of Storm Lake, Iowa, and Lewis, married to Marilyn Wolfkuehler of Lansing, Michigan. Sister-in-law, Ruth Bailey, grandchildren, Jennifer, married to Michael Rundall of Eldora, Iowa, Amy Wolfkuehler of Green Bay, Wisconsin, Benjamin, married to Nicole Lowe of Eldora, Iowa, Kevin, married to Jesse Wolfkuehler of Golden, Colorado, Dan Wolfkuehler of Lansing, Michigan, Erica Wolfkuehler of Lansing, Michigan, Anna married to Noah Schmall of Cedar Rapids, Iowa, Stephen Wolfkuehler of Lansing, Michigan, great-grandchildren Sophie and Isabel Rundall, Emma and Adia Lowe, Josh and Nick Howard, Winona Schmall, extended family and friends. She was preceded in death by her husband, Warren Wolfkuehler, parents Dan and Genevieve Bailey, and brother Herman Bailey. Those are our full obituaries. We have uh, three death notices to bring you here. The first for Scott Burrs, last name spelled B-U-R-R-S, age 64, of Brit, died Wednesday, December 28, 2022, at Hancock County Health Systems of Brit, arrangements are at the Ewing Funeral Home. From there, we go to William Walter Ketchum, age 75, of Mason City, died Saturday, December 17th. Arrangements are with the Hogan Bremer Moore Colonial Chapel. Finally, Philip G. Seberg, last name spelled S-E-A-B-E-R-G, age 78, of Garner, formerly of Clemmy, died Tuesday, December 27, 2022, at the Westview Care Center of Britt. Arrangements were with the Cataldo Funeral Home.
And it's a Friday, so we don't really have much for opinions or anything like that. We'll bring you some sports, I think, this time, and then we'll jump into some more news, maybe an Ask Amy column or something here, as it's the middle of the week, so there's not going to be a lot of, of Christmas break weeks, so there's just not going to be a lot of sport, regional sports news. Uh, the Bulls set for a big home weekend, though. North Iowa will host division-leading Austin Saturday and Sunday. It's written by Jim Nelson. And the photo shows North Iowa Bulls players race up ice during a condition drill Tuesday at the Mason City Arena. It's junior hockey. Dateline Mason City. North Iowa Bulls head coach Todd Sandin did not deliver a sugar-coated message to his team upon its return from winter break. It was simple and to the point, as he basically said, if you want to be the best, you have to play the best. And beat the best. This weekend, beginning tonight in Austin, actually it would have been last night, in the first of a three-game North American Hockey League series, the Bulls will get that opportunity. The Ruins lead the NAHL Central with 41 points. North Iowa stands tied for third for win, Minot. I think it's supposed to be with Minot, with 28. There is not an easy weekend in the Central Division in the North American Hockey League, Sandin said. You might as well come out of your break and play the top team in your division. Get challenged right away. Austin is a well-balanced, well-coached team. We will have to be on the top of our game to take points from them. The final two games of the series will be at the Mason City Ice Arena Saturday and Sunday. The Bulls have not played since a 4-3 loss in St. Cloud to the Norsemen on December 17th and have not had a home game since it lost 5-4 to Austin on November 26th. North Iowa has played just three times in the month of December and had a December 15th home game with St. Cloud postponed because of a winter storm that hit the Mason City area. At 13-12-2-0 overall, Sandin likes where his young Bulls team is, sitting at the halfway point of the season. North Iowa is currently sitting in a playoff spot and have plenty of time to move up in the standings. It trails Aberdeen by five points per second. So we are happy to be in a playoff spot, and obviously, us coaches, we'd like to be at the top of it, Sandin said. But there are plenty of games left, and we are in a good spot. Sandin added he has been pleased by his veteran players, Byron Hartley, Logan Dombrowski, Max Scott, Justin Mexico, Joe Sweeney, and Jack Messick and how they have played considering they carry a huge burden of bringing a young team around, getting them up to speed, and getting them ready to play every night. We are definitely the youngest team in our division and one of the youngest teams in the NAHL, Sandin said. Right now we are looking for our guys, looking for some of those younger guys to turn some corners and be a bit more reliable offensively and defensively. We are in a good spot, maybe a better spot than we were a year ago, just with the caliber of players we have here now and the strides and steps they have made in the first half. While the challenge this weekend is great, Sandin says his team is capable of winning and will receive a huge boost from playing in front of their home crowd. I think our effort, execution, and structure have been sound, Sandin said of analyzing the first half of the season, even as young as we can be a formidable team. When we do things the right way and play the right way, we have a good chance to win every night. Tickets are still available for this weekend's games and can be purchased online at www.northiowabulls.com backslash tickets or by calling 641-423-4625. So moving on to news from college football, Music City. Talking about 
the Music City Bowl, which I will be playing in. That would be today at 11 o'clock. If you're listening to this on the air, if you're listening to it on the podcast, that means Saturday, 11 o'clock, 11 a.m. If you're listening to it late, sorry, you have to check the internet for the scores, however that goes. Iowa has six seniors to start, set to start last game on defense. It's written by Steve Batterson of the Quad City Times. And I'll tell you briefly here, the photo of the top shows play in action. Iowa linebacker Jack Campbell intercepting a pass intended for Minnesota wide receiver Lamike Brockington after it was deflected by Iowa defensive back Riley Moss during the second half Saturday. Jack Campbell will end his Iowa football career the same way he started it by remaining true to his word. The Butkus award-winning linebacker is one of six seniors on defense who will make what could be their final starts for the Hawkeyes in Saturday's Transperfect Music City Bowl. When I signed a letter of intent to come to Iowa, I signed up to play in every game I was healthy enough to play in and to consider not playing in the bowl. That just didn't seem right to me, Campbell said. While he respects decisions made by others to opt out of the 11 a.m. game at Nashville's Nissan Stadium, Campbell viewed opting to take the field against Kentucky as the best thing he could do in his final chance to take the field with this year's team. It means a lot to me. Iowa is a very special place, a unique place, and it says something that a lot of guys wanted to play one more game together, Campbell said. I wanted to play one more game for Coach Kirk Ferentz, and more importantly, I wanted to be there with my teammates and play for each other. There's some real meaning to that, and I'm excited to go out there and compete. Cornerback Riley Moss understands. The rematch against Kentucky team, which... A Kentucky team, which edged Iowa 20-17 in the Citrus Bowl on New Year's Day, comes one day shy of year since Moss thought he might be playing in his final game as a Hawkeye. Days later, he chose to use the additional year of eligibility the NCAA offered to all players impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic, and in retrospect, Moss is glad he did. When decided to stay last year, I did it because this is the one and only opportunity that I'll have in my life to wear the black and gold, and I'm so happy I made that choice, Moss said. I'm excited to have one more chance to go out with the boys and hopefully wrap up my career with a win. Safety Kayvon Merriweather is the only Iowa starter who opted out of playing in the game to begin NFL draft preparations. The All-Big Ten choice was part of a Hawkeye defense which has credited, rather created, created its own legacy, something Campbell and Moss both appreciate. Sorry, everyone. I think I'm getting to the point where I need glasses here. Iowa has allowed opponents just 4.10 yards per play. The fewest yards surrendered per play by any defense this season in the football bowl subdivision. The Hawkeyes have given up fewer than 200 yards in five games and have held opponents to 13 or fewer points nine times in Iowa's 7-5 season. Eight of those opponents have totaled 10 or fewer points, something the Hawkeyes last accomplished in 1929. Iowa limited eight opponents to under 100 rushing yards, held all 12 opponents below their season offensive yardage average, and held 10 teams below their season scoring average. We've done a lot of good things together, and the guys who are here, they want to experience that again, Moss said. It's kind of different playing Kentucky again in a bowl for a second straight year, but that's fine. There's still a bit of a bitter taste from that game last year, the way it ended, so a second chance here. And the chance to collect one more memory. 
It's crazy how fast it goes by, senior defensive end John Wagoner said. The last game, it's here. It seems like I just got here and now this is it. I'm glad we are here and have the chance to take on an excellent opponent. Wagner said that stuck with him as much as anything from the Citrus Bowl experience. They're an SEC team. They're fast and they're physical, and we have to be ready for that, Wagner said. Being ready won't be an issue for senior defensive tackle Noah Shannon. While he continues to contemplate returning for the additional year of eligibility, he has an opportunity to utilize, Shannon said. It hit him last weekend that this could also be the conclusion of his college career. Our practice on Christmas Eve back in the indoor facility, our last practice in Iowa City, it hit me that that might be the last time that I practiced there, the last time that defensive line coach Kelvin Bell coached me there, Shannon said. It felt weird, and then I thought back to my freshman year when Matt Nelson and Sam Brinks were seniors, how they were talking then about wanting that last game to be the best. I see that now. It's the last time this team will be together. That is what brought Campbell and his teammates back. One last chance to put that Tiger Hawk on the side of my head and compete as a Hawkeye. When you're as invested as we all have been, that chance means an awful lot, Campbell said. All right, we're around 46 minutes into the broadcast here. Moving on to one last sports story. Pele, Brazil's mighty king of beautiful game, dies. The photo here shows Brazil's Pele being hoisted on the shoulders of his teammates. This is a color photo. It's very interesting. It's a very high-definition color photo. But it's after Brazil won the World Cup final against Italy 4-1 to in Mexico City's Estadio Azteca. photo is from June 21st, 1970. That's incredible. Life and time and people back then. Dateline, Sao Paulo. This is an AP story by Teles Azani and Mauricio Savarizzi. Pele, the Brazilian king of soccer who won a record three World Cups and became one of the most commanding sports figures of the last century, died Thursday. He was 82. The standard bearer of the beautiful game had undergone treatment for colon cancer since 2021. The medical center where he had been hospitalized for the last month said he died of multiple organ failure as a result of the cancer. Pele changed everything. He transformed football into an art, entertainment. Neymar, a fellow Brazilian stalker star, said on Instagram, Football and Brazil elevated their standing thanks to the king. He is gone, but his magic will endure. Pele is eternal, he said. A funeral was planned for Monday and Tuesday with his casket to be carried through the streets of Santos, the coastal city where he, his storied career began, before burial. Widely regarded as one of the soccer's greatest players, Pele spent nearly two decades enchanting fans and dazzling opponents as the game's most prolific scorer with Brazilian club Santos and the Brazil national team. His grace, athleticism, and mesmerizing moves transfixed players and fans. He orchestrated a fast, fluid style that revolutionized the sport, a samba-like flair that personified his country's elegance on the field. He carried Brazil to soccer's heights and became a global ambassador for his sport in a journey that began on the streets of Sao Paulo State, where he would kick a sock stuffed with newspapers or rags. In the conversation about soccer's greatest players, only the late Diego Maradona, Lionel Messi, and Cristiano Ronaldo are mentioned alongside Pele. 
Different sources counting different sets of games list Pele's goal totals anywhere between 650 league matches and 1,281 all-senior matches, some against low-level competition. The player who would be dubbed the King was introduced to the world at 17 at the 1958 World Cup in Sweden. The youngest player ever at the tournament, he was carried off the field on teammates' shoulders after scoring two goals in Brazil's 5-2 victory over the host country in the final. Injury limit, limited him to just two games when Brazil retained the world title in 1962. But Pele was the emblem of his country's World Cup triumph in 1970 in Mexico. He scored in the final and set up Carlos Alberto with a nonchalant pass for the last goal in a 4-1 victory over Italy. The image of Pele in a bright yellow Brazil jersey with the number 10 stamped on his back remains alive with soccer fans everywhere as does his trademark goal celebration, a leap with a right fist thrust high above his head. Pele's fame was such that in 1967, factions of a civil war in Nigeria agreed to a brief ceasefire so he could play an exhibition match in the country. He was knighted by Britain's Queen Elizabeth II in 1997. When he visited Washington to help popularize the game in North America, it was the U.S. president who stuck out his hand first. My name is Ronald Reagan. I'm the President of the United States of America, the host said to his visitor. But you don't need to introduce yourself because everyone knows who Pele is. Pele was Brazil's first modern black national hero, but rarely spoke about racism in a country where the rich and powerful tend to hail from the white minority. Opposing fans taunted Pele with monkey chants at home and all over the world. He said he would never play if he had to stop every time he heard those chants, said Angelica Basti, one of Pele's biographers. He is key for black people's pride in Brazil, but never wanted to be a flag bearer. Pele's life after soccer took many forms. He was a politician, Brazil's extraordinary minister for sport, a wealthy businessman, and an ambassador for UNESCO and the United Nations. He had roles in movies, soap operas, and even composed songs and recorded CDs of popular Brazilian music. As his health deteriorated, his travels and appearances became less frequent. He was often seen in a wheelchair during his final years and did not attend a ceremony to unveil a statue of him representing Brazil's 1970 World Cup team. Pelé spent his 80th birthday isolated with a few family members at a beach home. Born Edson Arantes do Nascimento in the small city of Tre Caracos in the interior of Minas Gerais State on October 23, 1940, Pele grew up shining shoes to buy his modest soccer gear. Pele's talent drew attention when he was age 11, and a local professional player brought him to Santos' youth squads. It didn't take long for him to make it to the senior squad. Despite his youth and 5'8 frame, he scored against grown men with the same ease he displayed against friends back home. He debuted with the Brazilian club at 16 in 1956, and the club quickly gained worldwide recognition. The name Pele came from him mispronouncing the name of a player called Bile. He went to the 1958 World Cup as a reserve, but became a key player for his country's championship team. His first goal in which he flicked the ball over the head of a defender and raced around, the, around him to volley at home, was voted as one of the best in the World Cup in World Cup history. The 1966 World Cup in England, won by the hosts, was a bitter one for Pele. 
by then already considered the world's top player. Brazil was knocked out in the group stage, and Pelé, angry at the rough treatment, swore it was his last World Cup. He changed his mind and was rejuvenated in the 1970 World Cup. In a game against England, he struck a header for a certain score, but the great goalkeeper Gordon Banks flipped the ball over the bar in an astonishing move. Pelé likened the save, one of the best in World Cup history, to a salmon climbing up a waterfall. Later, he scored the opening goal in the final against Italy, his last World Cup match. In all, Pelé played 114 matches with Brazil, scoring a record 95 goals, including 77 in official matches. His run with Santos stretched over three decades until he went into semi-retirement after the 1972 season. Wealthy European clubs tried to sign him, but the Brazilian government intervened to keep him from being sold, declaring him a national treasure. On the field, Pelé's energy, vision, and imagination drove a gifted Brazilian national team with a fast, fluid style of play that exemplified O Jogo Bonito, Portuguese for the Beautiful Game. In 1977, his biography, My Life and the Beautiful Game, made the phrase part of soccer's lexicon. In 1975, he joined the New York Cosmos of the North American Soccer League. Although 34 and past his prime, Pelé gave soccer a higher profile in North America. He led the Cosmos to the 1977 league title and scored 64 goals in three seasons. Pelé ended his career on October 1, 1977 in an exhibition between the Cosmos and Santos before a crowd in New Jersey of some 77,000. He played half the game with each club. Among the dignitaries on hand was perhaps the only other athlete whose renown spanned the globe, Muhammad Ali. Pelé would endure difficult times in his personal life, especially when his son, Ed Hino, was arrested on drug-related charges. Pele had two daughters out of wedlock and five children from his first two marriages to Rosemary Dos Reis Cholby and Assyria Sehaz Lemos. He later married businesswoman Marcia Cabele Aoki. So that's about Pele here. Not much time here, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to read you and ask Amy. Dear Amy, my nephew is getting married this coming summer. I'm trying to decide if I want to go. I've never really had a relationship with him. I doubt we've said 100 words to each other in 22 years. His parents, my brother and his wife and siblings, are solidly Trump followers. While I identify myself as a rabid liberal, I have nothing in common with my brother and his family, and I don't really know many of the extended family who will probably be there. The thing is, I like his fiancée and don't want to hurt her feelings. But is it worth it to spend a day with people who don't want me and who I want to be with? That written by Rabid Liberal. Dear Rabid, you received an invitation to this wedding, so it's fair to say that someone in this family wants you to attend. If you haven't exchanged as much as 100 words with your nephew over his lifetime, then it is possible that you don't actually know that much about him. A wedding is a family event, not a political event. If you attend, your assumptions about these family members might be verified or they might not or they might be altered toward nuance. Leaving your own rabid attitudes at home would help. And that's an Ask Amy article here. 
One last check of the forecast looking at today, Saturday. Expect cloudy conditions, winds from the south and southeast up to 16 miles per hour, the high 35 degrees today. For tonight, expect a low down at 18 degrees. For tomorrow or Sunday, expect mostly cloudy skies, those winds from the west and northwest, up to 8 miles per hour. A little peak of sunshine out there on your Sunday, a high of 34 degrees. So this is for New Year's Day. New Year's Day evening and overnight into Monday, a low of 21 degrees. Monday, cloudy with a bit of snow. Winds out of the northeast up to 16 miles per hour, high of 32 degrees for your Monday. That's check your forecast, and that is your final reading of the Mason City Globe Gazette for 2022. This is the Friday, December 30th edition. It's brought to you here on the morning of Saturday, December 31st, New Year's Eve 2022. Well, have a wonderful day, wonderful evening. Be safe and careful out there. Happy New Year from IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service. I want to wish you all uh, the very best as we start off 2023, and thank you for your loyal listenership here over this year. This has been Andrew Hopp with you. It's been great to be here with you. Thank you so much for listening. Have a nice day, and straight ahead. <music>